0: this is from our neurons to yours a podcast from the wu Tsai neurosciences institute at stanford university on this show we crisscross scientific disciplines to bring you to the frontiers of brain science i'm your host nicholas weiler here's the sound we created to introduce today's topic cephalopods What can octopus and squid brains teach us about intelligence? One of the incredible things about octopuses is that not only do they have an advanced intelligence that lets them camouflage themselves, use tools and manipulate their environments and act as really clever hunters in their ecosystems, they do this with a brain that evolved essentially from something like a slug in the oceans hundreds of millions of years ago. Our brains share virtually nothing in common with theirs. The question for scientists is, what can studying a creature with a completely different brain from our own teach us about the common principles of what makes a brain, what makes intelligence? What does it mean for this creature to have an intelligence that is something like our own? And that brings us to today's guests.
1: My name is Ernie Huang. Uh, I'm a postdoctoral uh, research fellow at Stanford. I'm in Yvonne Sholtat's lab, and we've been studying an uh, octopus for the last three years. And how about you, Matt?
2: My name is Matt McCoy. I'm a postdoc at Stanford. Um, I'm in Andy Fire's lab. And you know our lab has not studied octopus or cephalopods before, but I, I'm studying gene size and particularly gene size evolution during nervous system evolution. That, that brings us to the cephalopods because they do something very unique among invertebrates. Which is what? Well, so vertebrates have evolved some of the largest genes. So their genome has expanded greatly compared to most other invertebrates, and their gene sizes have also evolved or expanded greatly, just like uh, invertebrate evolution.
0: So uh, I want to start by just asking... For your perspective on this, how intelligent are these animals, octopi, squid, cuttlefish? And how do we know, sort of how do we define intelligence in an animal like this?
1: Yeah, so broadly speaking, is really the ability to make predictions based on your prior experience and knowledge. These animals are quite intelligent because they possess complicated behaviors. They have to hunt in the open seas and they can camouflage and their bodies are all soft. So there's actually no rigid shells to protect them. So they really involve a different way to basically survive in a really competitive environment. And that, that is to, to have a sophisticated nervous system that enable them to do all sorts of complicated behaviors. So, like you mentioned before, these uh, the octopus can take the tools in the environment. And, pretty nice examples of the coconut octopus can take the coconut shells and use it as a temporary shelter in the open sea. Right. Sort of showing this problem
0: solving ability that they can take what's around them and figure out solutions to protect themselves. How do we think octopi and squids and cuttlefish got to be? So smart, as I mentioned, they evolved from slug-like mollusks millions of years ago. Matt, uh, since you're studying octopus evolution, it, what what do we think is going on here?
2: So yeah, the question how how did the cephalopods get so smart? I think it's useful to to reframe this question. Um, so cephalopods are mollusks, like you said, which you know, accepting the cephalopods altogether are not so intelligent. So, you know, how did the cephalopods get so smart evolving from these slug-like mollusks? I think when we ask it in this way, it implies that, you know, humans as vertebrates did not also evolve from the same common ancestor with cephalopods, which in fact, we did. Our common ancestor uh, was likely a simple worm-like creature with a very simple nervous system living on the seafloor some 600 to 800 million years ago. What's so fascinating is that since diverging from that common ancestor, vertebrates and cephalopods independently evolved complex nervous systems. So th- this is really the question. How do they independently evolve intelligence? And so we, we're interested in the differences in how this happened, but also in the similarities in how this happened, because it, it helps us learn about some of the fundamental principles of how intelligence evolves. You know, to answer this question, my, my research focuses on the genetics and the evolutionary bi- biology underlying nervous systems, And so, you know, researchers sequenced the human genome something like two decades ago now, but they haven't stopped sequencing since then. You know, the technology is just getting faster and cheaper. And so researchers have been sequencing the genomes of any and all of the most interesting organisms, including the cephalopods. There are now several complete genome assemblies for cephalopods, and my research leverages these to compare their genomes with other animal genomes like ours. One of the clearest results That I've been uncovering is the size and complexity of genes in the genome. So we we thought for a long time that vertebrate genomes were more complex than invertebrate genomes. But as it turns out, the genes of cephalopods independently became large and complex. So particularly the genes important for nervous system development and function, which is just like what occurred during vertebrate evolution, especially in humans. So we currently think that one of the things you need to evolve a complex nervous system, and consequently intelligence, is the complexification of the underlying genetic components.
0: So both vertebrates with large brains and cephalopods, these large brain mollusks, have evolved these large genes, which seem to be somehow underlying or scaffolding the ability of, of forming complex nervous systems, something like that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well... I want to hear a little bit more about just how different the octopus brain is from the mammalian or vertebrate brain. I mean they do some similar things to what we see in mammals, clever hunting strategies, camouflage, you know, using tools. But Ernie, their their brains are pretty vastly different from ours, aren't they?
1: Yes. So one very obvious difference is, is the the way they organize their nervous system. So they they have uh, very distributed uh, nervous systems. So in octopus, about two thirds of their 500 million neurons resides in the periphery nervous systems. And that is a very interesting uh, body plan because when you consider the components that they have to control, their periphery is actually a lot more compared to the vertebrate because their body is soft So their movement is basically, they have virtually unlimited degrees of freedoms where they can do all sorts of movement. And also along uh, each arm, there are uh, many suckers that they can individually control. They can kind of be any shape they want. Yes. And I'm sure a lot of audience also see how the octopus can crawl through like really tight space. So any hole that that is bigger than their beak, they can actually uh, went through it uh, by moving their bodies. They're controlling a very different bodies compared to the vertebrate like us. We where we have like joint, and you, you're simply controlling the muscle attached to the joint, and so your movement is uh, very limited in in that sense. So they sort of have these distributed nervous systems where.
0: I think you, you said two thirds of their nervous systems are in their arms. Yes, and I think mm-hmm. you said they have about 500 million neurons. So that's you know that's obviously less than say a human brain. But what would you compare them to in terms of their ability to do problem solving? And um, so their brain size will be c- comparable to like dogs. So given given that they've got this like d- different organization, they've got independent brain cells in their arms that have they have some level of independence or are they, is it like their brain is just spread through their body or are they different
1: centers of? Uh... Yeah. So from that distributed layout of their nervous system, one thing that c- come out is that the, the control is also highly distributed. So there's a study where they isolate the arms and then provide electrical stimulation to the arm. And they, they were able to reproduce kind of a, A bending motion where you see the octopus used to catch a prey. That kind of movement doesn't require controls from the center nervous systems. The instruction to produce that kind of motion is embedded in the periphery. And probably what the center nervous system is just sending a goal signals and then the rest of the instructions can be uh, complete by the periphery. That's so great. It's like you tell your hand, I'd like some
0: coffee, go make me some coffee, and then you kind of check back in a little while later, and it's like, do I have coffee yet? Okay, maybe I need to send in another hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just I love imagining <laughs> this. And, and that sort of brings me back to this question of, they've got such different body plans, such different types of, of brains like we've said, they evolved from something like a sea slug. And I think, Matt, your point is a great one. We also evolved from a flatworm once upon a time into mammals and primates and so on. I think we're more familiar with the concept that mammals are clever, so it's less of a surprise. But I'd love to hear more about what can this teach us uh, about what intelligence means to have another example of how intelligence evolved separately.
2: Yeah. I mean, so there, there is just so much to learn. I mean, we're, we're just starting. Like you're saying, almost everything we know about how intelligence evolved, we know from studying vertebrates. And vertebrate brains all share the same evolutionary history. So, you know, in science, we call this an N of one. You know, there's one observation. This means we can't really know if our intelligence necessarily arises from our brains being built exactly the way vertebrate brains are built. You know, how much of this is necessary versus just a historical contingency. If we could play back the tape of life... Would intelligence evolve the exact same way with brains built just like ours? You know, unfortunately for us, we know that we're not alone. The cephalopods bring us to an N of two now. So they evolved to complex nervous systems and intelligence independently from us. So we now know of a different way in which intelligence can evolve. So again, the similarities will teach us a lot about some of the fundamentals of how to build the complex nervous system. Like perhaps you need to have really large complex genes while the differences have the potential to show us what, what makes us uniquely human.
0: Well, one of the things that we, we see with, with intelligence is solving new problems, right? When we think about intelligence, it's like picking up some, something on the, on the ground and figuring out a new way to use it, given your circumstances. Um, is this something that we see in, in cephalopods? How much of their intelligence is sort of hardwired, and how much of it seems to be learned? And can they pass it on to other, to other individuals?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, this is perhaps one of the things that, that is uniquely human, or at least uniquely vertebrate, because, uh, you know, for a lot of octopus species, they, they have their eggs, they, the mother wait until the eggs hatch, and then the mother very quickly dies. And so, n- none of the information from that previous generation that, that that mother octopus, you know, learned, none of that's passed on. And so everything the octopus does is pretty much from a fresh perspective. That's very different from humans, which are able to, you know, learn from from each other and our ancestors, et cetera. So some, some, perhaps something different, fundamentally different. Great. Well, you guys are fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. This was fun.
0: Thanks so much again to our guests, Ernie Juan and Matt McCoy. To learn more, check out the wu Tsai Neurosciences Institute at neuroscience.stanford.edu. For more info about our guests' work, check out the links in the show notes. This episode was produced by Michael Osborne, with production assistance by Morgan Honaker and Christian Huyges. I'm your host, Nicholas Weiler.